Now the easy part. Pray with me, would you? Lord, thank you for this Christmas season. Thank you for what it reminds us of, the the birth of your son, the fact that you came to earth, Lord, in the form of a baby. And as Mark reminded us of on Christmas Eve, as we look into the face of Jesus, we see you. And so, Lord, we pray that today that you would fill us with your spirit. And, Father, that if any, anyone in here today is in some way lacking in hope, we pray that you would fill them with hope today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this past week, Jennifer and I celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary. Woohoo! And maybe that's what that's about a little bit. I don't know. Um, we, we snuck away. We stole away actually last weekend for a couple nights out. I wasn't up, up to bat. And we went away to Olympia for a couple nights at a B&B there. And uh, we, just, um, we just wanted a little bit of time together to rest and to celebrate uh, really what's a milestone in kind of our day and age, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. I mean, as you keep going. Uh, Jenny and I have, have found that um, our celebrations now uh, get closer and closer together. We try to celebrate more and more things, whether it's, you know, I finished this work, uh, this week of school, and I want to go out and celebrate, or uh, we finished a quarter, sort of, uh, and we need to kind of get away and, and refuel and get some rest. Um, it's so important to celebrate. And, uh, and really, we want to do that because we're, we're best friends, and we want to be together. Jenny's my best friend. And um, there's, not, there's nothing I like doing more than just being with my best friend. And it really doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't really matter whether we're at home or we're at a restaurant or away for a weekend. Um, I just want to be with her. And uh, I share this with you because um, coming up, uh, event that we have coming up here in February, it's actually Valentine's Day weekend. For those of you, husbands and wives, Friday night and Saturday, we're having a marriage retreat. And we have David and Kelsey Burke coming to join us that weekend. Uh, David is a pastor at Fremont Presbyterian Church in Sacramento in our presbytery. And his wife, Kelsey, was the uh, women speaker at the last retreat this year. A lot of the ladies maybe that were at that retreat will remember Kelsey. They're going to be with us and sharing with us two or three, actually three times uh, over that Friday night, Saturday experience. Uh, we've got a whole host of fun, uh, romantic things planned. So we really hope that you'll, you'll put that down on your calendar now, February 12th and 13th. So important. Uh, today, I'm wrapping up our series in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23. And uh, uh, I'm so thankful for Mark and Ellis and Larry and Megan. They've done such a magnificent job of unpacking really one of the most man- uh, magisterial passages in the whole New Testament about the person of Christ. And uh, so for one last time, I'm going to read Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about the two verses following, verses 21 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verses 21 through 23. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, uh, we, we want to look at the question, what hope do we have? And given these past weeks where we've heard this magisterial uh, explanation of the person of Christ... We might think as broken, flawed, sinful human beings, what hope do I have? And the truth of the matter is, simply put, we have no hope apart from Christ. But in Christ, there is hope for the present and for the future. Let me read uh, verse 21 in the message translation. You yourselves are a case study of what he does. At one time, all of you had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. The Colossians were a good case study, Paul reminds them. They were enemies of God. They were rebellious thinkers. They turned their backs to God. That's such a powerful image. How many of you have ever had the experience of somebody turning their back to you before? Kind of just rejecting you in that. Almost pretending as though you didn't exist. You know, there are some religions where um, someone in the family converts to another religion and the rest of the family turns their back on them. They might even have a funeral and pronounce them dead even though they're still alive. And in some extreme cases... They might even try to harm them because they view them as an infidel, a traitor. You know, from God's perspective, that's how we were before we knew Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And what's more, we turned our backs on God. We wanted nothing to do with Him. We wanted nothing to do with a relationship with God. We didn't want to go to church. We didn't want to do all what we perceived as the rules of Christianity. We had absolutely no interest in a relationship with God. Think back for a moment what your life was like before you knew Christ. Some of you have been Christians a long, long time, and it's very hard for you to remember back that far. You've pretty much always known the Lord and followed the Lord. But maybe there was a season even in your life where you turned your back on God. I know there are some of you in here who can remember what it was like before you knew Christ and in your your early years as a follower of Jesus. In fact, I can remember very well what that was like. I was a very happy and carefree pagan. 
I did whatever I wanted to do. And I was happy about it. If it meant trying to make other people happy, I was great with that. I'll make other people happy if that made me look good. I did what I wanted to do. But I had no idea about God. I had no relationship with God. And I had no idea how much the God of the universe loved me and cared for me and was willing to die for me. I actually would have fit in really well with the Colossian church. And I I dare say I bet some of the rest of you would too. The Colossians were a very young church filled with babes in Christ. They were maybe five or six years old when Paul wrote this letter. Paul had to remind them in one very quick verse, in verse 21, he had to remind them that not very long before he wrote this letter, they were enemies of God. They were rebellious people. They were rebellious thinkers. They were evil in their thoughts and in their behavior. But very quickly, Paul turns it around in verse 22 and he says, he doesn't say, but thanks be to God. He could have put that right in here. He said, God has reconciled you through Christ, through the physical death of Christ on the cross. And because of that, you have this new relationship with him. And then he reminds him in verse 23, which is really the essence of what we want to talk about this morning. He says, if you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, not moving away from the hope of the gospel. So this morning we're talking a little bit, what is the hope of the gospel? What is our present and future hope? You know, I think this is really a very relevant topic because I think there are a lot of people that are on the verge of feeling hopeless. And that's a very, very dangerous place to be, quite honestly. Maybe there's some of you here this morning that are right on the verge of that. Because without hope, there's, it's very difficult to continue living. And we could actually section out, we could say, gosh, we know there are pockets of people in the world, in our community, that are bordering on hopelessness. I think of some of the veterans that come back from war. People over the age, honestly, over 65, many of them, without Christ. Even young people in their teenage years. These are some of the, some of the groups within our society that often lack hope. But you know, in Christ, we have hope. And Paul puts it so well in so many different places. I'm going to just recite one, and that's from Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And it's the life that I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me. And delivered himself up for me. This is your present hope. Your present hope is not in who's going to be elected the next president of the United States. Thank goodness. It's not in who's going to be the next champion of the voice. Or how many things that you can collect on this earth that make you feel secure while you're here or good about yourself. That's not where our hope is. Our hope is that we are followers of Jesus. He is our hope. And our hope is different than the hope that people of the world have. Our hope is in Christ. And we died with Christ. We've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me by faith. 
By faith in the Son of God, I live this life that God has called us to. And this affects everything in my life. This affects what I believe, what I value, and how I act. I wish we weren't ending this series in Colossians right now because chapter 3, if you get to chapter 3 and if you read, go home and read verse 1 through 17. I wanted to preach a whole message on this. The pastor said I couldn't. So I'm settling for Colossians 3.10 that I'm going to just read to you right now. It says, You've begun to live the new life in which you are being made new and becoming like the one who made you. This new life brings you the true knowledge of God. I love that verse because that verse gives me so much hope. I know that I'm a new creature in Christ, but I realize some days I just think, Lord, I'm so far from you in the way that I behave and the way that I act. But this verse gives me so much hope that God isn't finished with me yet. Don't you love those bumper stickers that say that? God isn't finished with me yet. Be patient. Well, that also brings into focus next week renewal or renewal of baptismal vows. That's a very important time for us. And I hope this week, those of you that are here, congratulations, by the way. You should give each other a high five for being here 48 hours after Christmas. I'm impressed. Good job. But take time this week, assuming you're going to be back here next week, to think about your renewal of baptismal vows. Because as new creatures in Christ, we are continually being renewed in him, learning more and more what it means to be a follower of Jesus and surrendering our lives to him. Our renewal of baptismal vows is a great way to start the year. Not because it's a New Year's resolution, like a new diet, which I know we'll be doing too, But because it's a New Year's declaration, you're declaring to yourself and to the world, both visible and invisible, to the spiritual rulers and to the authorities of this world. I've been crucified with Christ. The old man is dead. The new man is alive in Christ. That's the meaning of my baptism. My baptism symbolized my death the death to sin to the old man and coming out of the water is representative of that new life in Christ, that cleansing, that healing, that being made a new creature. We're a new creature in Christ and we need to be reminded of that. Your hope is in Christ who is the light of the world and darkness shall not overcome it. Jenny and I moved from Southern California almost a year and a half ago and Uh, It's the land of a zillion bumper stickers. Whatever you want to believe, you put it on your bumper, you know. And um, a lot of Christians, especially in the area where we live, put this bumper sticker. I'm curious how many people know what it is. N-O-T-W. Anybody ever know what that is? Ever heard of it? Obviously, the the marketers haven't made their way up northwest yet. Uh, But it stands for not of this world. And you're reminded in John chapter 18 where Jesus is talking to Pilate and he says, my kingdom is not of this world. Your hope is not in this world. Our hope is in Christ. This world is going to hell in a handbasket. And we see that happening day in and day. And we shouldn't be surprised. We wish it weren't. It's sad. But it's the truth. Read the book. 
Read the ending. It's going to get worse before it gets better. But our hope, if we maintain that our hope is not in this world, but our hope is in Christ, we have a present hope. And that is we've died with Christ and we're alive in him. But we also have a hope for the future. And that's our destiny in Christ. I want to read Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life. There's that death again. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the entire world, the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. Isn't that an amazing promise? That when Christ returns, we're going to share in his glory. Your future hope is with Christ in heaven. And therefore, Paul says, set your minds, set your hearts, your affections, your passions, your thinking on things above and not on earthly things. Focus the small amount of time that you have here left on this earth on things that develop and build the kingdom of God because God's kingdom is our ultimate destination. That's where we're going. And it's not going to be long. Life here on earth is just a dress rehearsal. My gosh, the kids put on a play here and they had like a four or five hour dress rehearsal. It probably seemed like forever for them. But our time here on earth, especially once you've lived a few years, right? It seems so quick. And you learn to value. There's, some, there's something happened when you turn a certain age. I'm not sure it is or an event or something where you begin to learn to value each day. I'm looking forward to um, January and February this year. Not to look too far ahead. But I have the opportunity to go to Cambodia in March. And uh, our friends, our mission partners, have asked for uh, people to come and teach more on marriage. And so I'm, I'm kind of boning up on some things about marriage. And we've, we've been in a marriage group here this, this last few months. And we're going to share some things with them. And I'm so excited about this because it authenticates the voice of God, hearing God's voice in my life over several years ago. When I sensed the Lord saying me, sort of stirring in my heart a desire to help the third world church. You know, we have lots and lots of people, so many smart, capable people who've graduated from seminaries with masters and PhDs and they can't get a job for the life of them. And yet we have the church of Jesus Christ in the third world in Asia, Africa, and Latin America that is growing so fast, they're just dying for somebody to come and give them training and to help them. And I just... There was a period of time where I said, Lord, is there anything that you like me to do to help? Is there anything I can do? I mean, I've been in ministry for a while now. And I've gone through some class, you know. Is there anything I can do? He closes all the doors in California. And he sends us up to beautiful, sunshiny Northwest. And then he opens a door to go to Cambodia, of all places. I mean, I didn't. I wasn't very specific, I guess, in my prayers, and so he decided Cambodia. Okay. But wherever the church needs help, needs training, we need to, we need to see our lives right now 
in preparing ourselves for Jesus' return and preparing the church for Jesus' return. I feel like in a small way going and helping others in a, in a foreign country, in a country that doesn't have the resources that we have, in, in a small way is helping to prepare God's body for his return of Jesus. Jesus is returning and it may be soon and he wants us to be ready. Now, this seems to be the message that the Lord is speaking to me here over Advent. Because I'll be quite honest and I, I, don't, I don't, you know, I just... I say this as a pastor, but I was having kind of a hard time getting in the Christmas spirit up until the Christmas concert. And not only was, of course, I was blessed by the fantastic music, the choir and the, the brass and the orchestra, and every, it was phenomenal. But I was sitting there, kind of in a seat there where Joe is, and sitting there, and I was supposed to come up and say something, like, not too long, pastor, you know, sermonette we call it, three minutes, five minutes long, and uh, really, I'm, I'm really introducing and praying for the offering, right? Okay, that's really what I'm doing. That's, that's the important function you're doing. But, um, but all of a sudden, I'm sitting there, and uh, all of what Margie had been telling me about this last song called The Invitation, all of a sudden, it's like the Holy Spirit like came on me and sort of focused my thinking on that conversation. And some of the words in the invitation, the last piece that the choir did, and requiems will surrender, funeral dirge, requiems, and requiems will surrender, and requiems will surrender to hallelujahs, salvation. Heaven will draw near, and Christ will wipe away each tear and sing a canticle of hope. And that, that verse has been going through my, my mind and heart this Advent. Because in our world, we have way too many requiems. There's way too many death, deaths, and senseless destruction. But there's a time coming when there'll be no more requiems. No more funeral dirges. Only alleluias. Salvation. Hope. Heaven will draw near and Christ, in Revelation it says, will wipe away every tear. And there will be a song of hope that is sung. And so the next question or or thought that often follows that, or at least followed my thinking was, Lord, come Lord Jesus, why are you delaying? Why don't you come? And I was reminded in 2 Peter 3 that Jesus is not slow as some understand slowness. He is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so as we prepare for the coming of our Lord, as we prepare for a renewal of baptismal vows, where are you in that process? How does God want to prepare you for his coming? And what are you doing to help prepare others for Jesus' return? Are you ready? Do you feel like you're ready? 
Or do you need to renew your baptismal vows and say, yes, I have been crucified with Christ. The old man is dead. And now I am alive to God in Christ Jesus. You know, in the old RSV translation, none of you probably have that translation of the Bible. The old RSV in Romans 6 says, reckon yourselves dead to sin. In other words, believe it. Believe that you've died and that you've been raised with Christ so that there is a church for Jesus when he returns that is blameless and spotless and full of joy and waiting and longing for the return of their king. And then we will be singing a canticle of hope. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for, that rem- for this reminder during the Advent season, not only of you coming into the world and saving the world through Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But also, Lord, reminding us during Advent that you're coming again. We don't know when it is, but we're, we're told to be ready. We're told to prepare ourselves. And Lord, this morning, I pray that if there's anyone here that's bordering on a sense of hopelessness, that you would fill them with hope. That they are a new creature in Christ. That the old is gone and that the new has come. And that you are with them and in them through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if there's anyone here this morning, Lord, that has never made that decision... Lord, I pray that they would not leave without receiving you into their heart by faith and telling someone else that they've done that today. Father, I pray that next week that you might move in power and do some great things in your body here as we have the renewal of baptismal vow service. May that bring you glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.